The biggest learning in my life is that human capability is unlimited. I strongly believe that nothing is impossible. It might be a little bit, you know, strong, but I really believe in it. It's just a matter of how passionate we are about our dreams and how much effort we put to to make them happen. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by CBRE. CBRE is the global leader in real estate operations, providing solutions to the world's largest energy oil and gas companies. CBRE supports their clients' facilities both upstream and downstream without compromising safety by delivering strategies that optimize operations and reduce costs and risk. Unlock the power of your energy oil and gas portfolio with CBRE. Learn more at www.cbre.com forward slash EOG. Before I introduce this week's guest, I want to ask everyone to support the show by taking a few moments to leave a review in iTunes. Guess what, guys? I got an inter- I got a review. I finally got one. It says, great show, very insightful, five-star review from Geopolitics for Life. This is a, one of a small handful of podcasts I make a point of listening to. Paige is an excellent host, and she frequently has outstanding guests from across the energy sector. If you want all the perks of networking and learning lessons from a seasoned pro, but without the pesky meeting the people in person part, then this is your show. And it doesn't hurt that being a guest on Paige's show launched my own podcast career. So listen to her show and you might learn something and get a podcast of your own, but probably not the latter. (laughs) Thanks to Geopolitics for Life. If you know, you know. Also, if you're interested in getting your hands on some OGGN laptop hard hat stickers, check out the show notes for a 10 second survey and reach out to Audrey and she'll get those shipped out to you. All right, let's introduce this week's guest. I am sitting here today with Ahmed Sharoush, founder and chief executive officer of Tavera. Hi, Ahmed. Hello, Paige. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you and OGNN for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to talk to you guys. And Absolutely. Out there. Yeah, yeah. And you and I actually met at OTC. Yes, we did. Yes. And we became besties. <laughs> so, Ahmed, let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Yes, sure. I actually did my bachelor in mining industry. And honestly, since I didn't like to work in that industry, I decided to move to oil and gas because I'm coming from a country that the economy is based on oil and gas. So, and I really enjoyed my career in oil and gas. And after like 25 years, I really feel that I made the right decision moving toward an industry that was very rewarding and gave me a lot of opportunities to live in different countries, work with different culture, different colleagues. And I really, really call it a very rewarding, you know, career working in the oil and gas industry. So what countries have you lived in? I always, this is like my favorite part of the show is hearing where everybody's lived. Sure, sure. I'm originally from Iran. So I started my career in in Iran. And then after a few years of working in the industry, I moved to Australia to do my PhD. 
Then I worked there for a few years and I moved to Scotland, to the lovely Edinburgh, which is one of my favorite cities. And then I got an opportunity to work with a big service company in Dubai for a few years. Then I moved to Venezuela (laughs) (laughs) for some time to actually lead a team of, you know, subsurface experts teaching them, them, you know, geomechanics. My next move was to Houston, working for Shell. And then I moved to Denmark in Copenhagen (laughs) for, I mean, Dong Energy, which was used to be their national oil company. And after that, I moved to Atlanta, U.S., picking up my own company and doing what I'm doing now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, which place did you enjoy the most? As I said, my favorite city was Edinburgh because it's very cultural. It's very always busy, always live. I also loved Copenhagen, kind of close to Edinburgh. But honestly, I think I moved to all the cities that I lived in. They are like, I mean, interesting cities, interesting locations to be. So I don't mind going back to any of them again. (laughs) Yeah, no, I bet. That's amazing. I wish I've been able to go to all those places, especially Australia. That's one hell of a flight, though, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I, I still miss Australia. Perth was the city that I was living. My only challenge there was that wherever I wanted to go, like for business or visiting families, I had like at least 12 hours flight, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. So let's talk about your company, Tavera. And why did you feel it necessary to start your own company? Yeah. So I think from the start of my career in the industry, my goal was to have my own company and basically follow the missions, the goals that I have for the energy industry. So as many countries that I've changed, I've changed many (laughs) companies as well. (laughs) It was mainly to give myself exposure to visit, I mean, to expand my network, to visit, to learn more, to experience more and to visit more people and more locations. Like in 2017, 18, I found myself actually in the a, in a position to full-time take over, pick up my own company. And I was feeling the confidence that I would be able to make a change, right? So, but my whole motivation and goal behind starting my company was that a strong feeling that a transition is coming through to go from pure oil and gas industry to a cleaner oil and gas industry plus other renewable sources. So I really wanted to develop a company that accelerate movement toward, you know, a cleaner, lower carbon future. And this is our mission at Tavera right now. So we are developing subsurface technologies that kind of enable or remove some of the barriers against, you know, clean energy movement, specifically on the carbon storage and geothermal spaces that we are focused on. So we develop technologies, we do provide consulting, we provide clean solutions to both oil and gas and clean energy companies to kind of moving toward the goal that we all have, right? A cleaner energy mix for our next generations. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So explain exactly what Severo does. And if people aren't familiar with the name of the company, it was previously PetroLearn. Yes, thanks for mentioning that. And I forgot to say that. Yeah, we started as <laughs> It's okay. Very recently changed the name to Tavera to better basically reflect our missions and activities. So we are a group of subsurface engineers and geoscientists. So we are really focused on the subsurface. I would say 60% of our effort right now is R&D to develop new and innovative technologies. 
for better characterization, better modeling, and better monitoring and visualization of subsurface, right? And as I mentioned, our main focus is geothermal energy and carbon storage. Although most of our people have their background in oil and gas, so we have some people like experts in geothermal and carbon storage, but our main mission is to apply learning and experience from 160 years of oil and gas operations to kind of de-risk and accelerate the development of clean energy. So this is what we are trying to do, right? And we do that with technology development and solution development for the industry. So we have several products, like from software to basic downhole tool development, that some of them are ready for market, some of them are under development, and many other ideas that are just on the paper, and we are looking for opportunities to develop them. Very good, very good. So it's interesting because it's so important that people understand that oil and gas is not going anywhere, but it's also important that these new technologies and the things we're trying to do to make the earth better is also necessary. Exactly, exactly. And it's very important because a lot of people talking about eliminating oil and gas from the energy mix, and honestly, it's not possible. I mean, it will send us far behind where we are right now if, if we eliminate oil and gas because you now oil as a fuel is not the only usage of the oil. I mean, there are many, many products that are coming from oil and gas, and they are heavily mixed with our lives that we cannot really remove them. So, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, it removes prosperity, I believe. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think a lot of people understand that not everybody can afford what's coming, you know, the new transition and whatnot. And I don't even think it's the next several decades, I would say. Yeah. I also don't think it's necessarily a transition. I just think it's something added to, you know, energy. To the energy mix. That's true. We just try to make everything cleaner and as efficient as possible and more environmentally friendly. But to be honest, and this is something that, I mean, people working on renewable energy don't really discuss with the community. None of the renewable energy options are 100% clean. None of them is 100% environmental friendly, right? So they all have negative impact, the same as oil and gas. But our goal, our mission is to just minimize that negative impact. And I mean, honestly, talk to the public about it, right? Not hiding anything from them. Right, right. And or leaving data out about, <laughs> you know, climate change, this, that, and the other. So Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into leadership. Ahmed, what is leadership to you? Yeah, this is a very good question, actually. and <laughs> might be a very tricky one. But to me, leadership is an art, not just a skill. Right? Leadership is the art of influencing, motivating, and inspiring people to become their best self toward achieving you know, certain goals. It is the art of making people believe that they have the quality to be in charge and accountable. It is the art of leading their souls in addition to their actions. In short, I believe the best leaders are those who help others become leaders. Ooh. If, I want, if I want to just make it very short. <laughs> Well, I mean, we've got time. So like, if you want to elongate that, that's quite fine too. Because I kind of like where you're going with this. Because that's a very different answer that I've had on here. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, no. If you'd like to elaborate, that'd be fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, sure, definitely. What I mean by that is that, you know, a big portion of people like to be followers, right? They want to have a leader, rely on him and follow, right? And honestly, I believe is not the best approach because it put a lot of burden on the leaders and 
provide less opportunity for employees or team members to grow, right? But if all team members, every and each of them, have the quality to lead, maybe not leading the people under them, but leading their efforts, right? Leading what they are doing, right? If they have leadership quality, the whole system will work more efficiently, right? With less hassle, with less headache for the leaders and for the employees. So this is why I really believe that if I want to have an efficient team, I really need to give them the opportunity to be a leader as well. Yeah, yeah. So do you think there are people out there that don't realize that they are natural-born leaders? Many, actually, yeah. Do you think they avoid it because they just don't want the responsibility of leading people? I think it might be actually outside their comfort zone, this one reason. And some people are not aware of it. I mean, it's just a matter of giving them opportunity and confidence that you can do it. Uh, You can be a leader. You just don't need to follow what others do, right? And it doesn't mean that, you know, then people will not get along because all of them want to be leader. No, actually, it's part of the leadership is working with others, right? Working in a team, with a team, not just as a head of a team. A true leader is a person who is sitting with the team, you know, beside them and helping them to grow, grow, right? Yeah, I believe everybody out there can be a leader. It's just a matter of them accepting it and wanting it and put some effort. And, I mean, getting some opportunity to do that, right? Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. I mean, I guess you have to be in the situation of to actually lead first and foremost. But, yeah, no, I can see that. I can see that. So do you actually have an example of a difficult experience you've had as a leader? I would say yes, of course. I think (laughs) typically face challenges. But before giving you an example, let me talk a little bit about the main challenge of a leader. Oh, yeah, for sure. At least from my perspective. And many leaders may also agree with me that the main leadership challenge is about human resources. It's not about running a business. It's not about bringing clients to the table. It's not about developing technology or developing ideas. It's human resources, right? how to select your team members to make sure appropriate personalities and skill sets are present to safeguard success. This is critical. Honestly, it's not an easy job to put together people with different cultural, educational, and religious background and make them work together smoothly and efficiently. It is not an easy job to design and synchronize a team of people with varying mentalities, personalities, and skill sets to ensure achieving a predefined goal. Now, the good news is that most people can be trained and improved to fit in a specific team sooner or later. And this is certainly responsibility of the leader. The only type of people who do not fit are those who look at their job as a work only, not as a responsibility. People who do not like to take responsibilities and think their job is to spend eight hours a day working without thinking what the value they are bringing to the table, right? And my difficult experience is about this case. A while ago, actually, I hired a technically strong senior person who ended up not being actually responsible for his tasks, deadlines, and commitments to and to the co-workers. Through several discussions and performance review sessions, I tried to help him improve himself with no success. So finally, after one and a half year, I had to make the difficult decision and terminate him. And this is true. It is one of the hardest decisions that a leader must take sometimes, just you know, deciding to, to terminate team member. 
And this experience left me with an unanswered question. I still don't know the answer. And many other leaders maybe don't know the answer. What is the optimum time to spend helping such an employee? Was one and a half year, which resulted in losing a few clients and having some team members disappointed too long? Should I have done it earlier? You never know when is the time actually to get to this decision, how much effort you can put to correct and guide people before you get to the point that you don't need them or they don't get to the level that you know, work with your team efficiently. Whatever the reason, if people fail to take responsibility, they will fail in their job, they will fail their teams, and they will fail to grow as individuals. And unfortunately, I mean, some people don't really look at themselves as an accountable person. They just want to have a job and work, right? Yeah, they just need to pay the bills and they don't yes, take yes. what they're actually doing to heart. Whereas you started a company, you know what you're doing and it means a lot more to you than, you know, probably them. But wow, what a great point. I don't know how much time it would take to where you determine, okay, this person's just not fit for this anymore. But yeah, you know, it's really challenging. And time is money. You exactly. spend all this time on this person. It, wow, that's so disappointing. And this is actually one of our core values. Time is gold. And I always refer him to this core value and explaining to him why we put it as, as our value, right? But unfortunately, I don't know. I still don't know if he didn't want to change or he just couldn't, right? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you get to that age where it just, you don't. You don't change. Yeah, you're, you're already set in your ways. Yeah, and he was not that old, but <laughs> I know <laughs> enough I, I, motivated, I think. And he was laid off like three times before joining us, so it means something, right? Wow, wow! Someone's a common denominator. <laughs> <laughs> but this happens, you know. And as I mentioned, it's really hard to select the right people, keep training them, and keeping them motivated, right? Yeah, that to makes sense. Their highest performance, so it's really hard. Yeah, I get it. And you also have to have faith in those people, too. Exactly. That's true. Yeah. So your heart kind of gets into it. I get that. That's got to be difficult as well. So what do you find the most rewarding thing about leadership? <laughs> yes, that's a good question, too. I think for a true leader, every aspect of leadership, bad or good, is rewarding. Let me tell you how I describe the life of a leader, typically, when I'm asked. And please remember, I'm talking from an entrepreneurship perspective, right? Because the case for those working with large companies, with several other decision makers, leaders above them, might be very different from business owners. As an entrepreneur, I wake up in the morning full of stress. Why? Because I'm committed to achieve goals that needs extensive effort. Because I'm committed to clients and partners. Because I'm committed to pay a dedicated team at the end of the month. And because I also have a family that I have to take care of. So this stress gives me enough motivation and energy to run through the day and do my best to achieve more. So I call it a good stress, right? Because if you don't have this stress, <laughs> probably you don't do what you are supposed to do. But the good part of it, when I go to bed, close my eyes and think about my day, I say, thanks, God, whatever I did, was for two valuable reasons. Number one, getting one step closer to our goals, one step closer to making differences toward creating a more sustainable future. 
Number two, being able to provide jobs to several people and support several families to improve their lives. And these are the most rewarding things about leadership, the good feeling of leaving positive impacts. And if these rewards doesn't exist, I don't think any leader will survive. They will quit their jobs really quickly because it's hard to handle that stress. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope you have good heart health. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do because I look at it really positively. I know leaders really sacrifice their work-life balance, their, their freedom to enjoy their life. They are enjoying leadership. Yeah. And I don't think people understand, especially in the entrepreneurship, way is the amount of things you actually have sacrificed versus, you know, working at a big company or something like you take out mortgages and you take out loans and you do everything you have, use all your resources to create this thing that you love and hope it works out. That's true. And honestly, if you don't have a big dream and a big passionate motivation about achieving those goals, turning that dream into reality, it will not be able to do that, right? A lot of commitment, a lot of time, hard work to make a business you know, successful. Right, right, exactly. So if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would that be, Ahmed? Honestly, Paige, I don't see myself in a position to advise anyone, but I can just put in my two cents based on my experience in the industry. For leaders, if we really care about our team as we do about our family, everything will go well. This is my philosophy, right? Team members are my family members. I really care about them. I really look at them as my you know, sisters, brothers, children. And this is the most valuable thing that I learned through several years of you know, leading different teams in different companies. For employees, I always make this recommendation to them. Never think that you are working for someone else. Whatever you do is first and foremost for your own development then for the employer's benefit. And this is really, really important because if you feel that you're working for someone else, sometimes, you know, you don't perform as you can. Every second that you waste at work not performing because you are disappointed or discouraged for any reason is a missed opportunity for you, right, to further improve yourself. So it means regardless what's going around you, you should always think that any work that you do You're learning a new skill. You're improving your current, you know, capabilities. It is a step toward, you know, improving yourself and increasing your value. And this way, actually, nothing can distract you from being a good performer. Very good advice. I think you qualified for giving good advice. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I'm happy to hear I think you did good. I think, yeah, that was fantastic. So what book has influenced you the most? (laughs) Yeah, you might expect me to mention a famous book on leadership or another topic. But honestly, the book that most influenced me was a kid's book that I read when I was a kid. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) And the book was called, I remember that very well, even the pictures in the book. It was called, You Strive, Got Rewards, right? And it was about a a little boy who found a bensit and wished to have a lot of them. And his dad told him that, If you want your dream comes true, you have to put some effort, digging a hole, planting the seed, and watering it every day. And then God will make it happen. I learned from that book that nothing can be achieved without hard work. And the harder we work, the more we achieve. 
This learning has helped me a lot through my life, honestly, and has been the reason behind every and each success I've had, if I had any. And if you ask me what the top three factors for success are, I would say passionate, hard work, and hard work again. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely not wrong. <laughs> Double that hard work. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I typically tell people that, you know, whenever you hear sound of your bones, you know, squeezing and, you know, feeling that, I mean, that pain because of the hard work, that is sound of success, right? You don't achieve anything if you don't feel that, that pain. Yeah. No. And it makes complete sense. Wow. What a great answer. So what's your most used business tool? This is quite hard to answer since there are the several tools that I constantly use on a daily basis. The most important ones are communication tools like emails and meeting apps and organizing tools such as, you know, tasks and project management tools. But yeah, I mean, I cannot really pick any of them as the most used one because I consistently use all of them. <laughs> That's fair. That's a that. fair answer. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if this is necessarily applicable, but who's your most respected competitor? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I respect all our competitors, knowing that they are all willing to work as hard as us to create values as we are, right? So my competitor is another me. <laughs> so why should I <laughs> hate them, right? And specifically in the space that we are working in, right? Like energy, clean energy, energy transition, we are all trying to provide different pieces that are required to achieve a main goal, which is green and low carbon future for our kids and next generations. So I really tend not to look at others as competitors, but partners or, and collaborators. And there are several cases where we are supporting potential competitors with our unique skill set to help them be more successful. We have examples. I'm not just saying that, right? We have projects that we are providing basically support to our competitors. I call it potential. <laughs> as I mentioned, I don't really see them as competitors. So they're more our client now rather than competitors. So I think it probably is a political <laughs> way we look at them. So we're turning them to clients and partners. Oh, well, then you're going to hate this next question. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> what makes your company better than the competition? <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think turning competition into collaboration is what we are good at, right? Probably that's our advantage. <laughs> and plus, I have had a strategy from the beginning that some people might criticize it and find it you know, risky, but it's being you know, focused on our goals without being distracted by what potential competitors do, right? Instead of looking around to see what they do and where they are, I think if we just focus on what we are doing and go as fast and as strong as possible, we will be more successful. And this has helped us move really fast toward our goals. Good. That's good. So another bad answer to your question. <laughs> There's no such thing as a bad answer. <laughs> well, no, I take that back, but let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your most important lesson learned, Ahmed? Uh, okay, let me think. Because I think it's going to be the abstract of my like 25 years of working in the industry. Okay, let me put it this way. If you have a dream, you must trust your capability and go for it. Full power and non-stop. This is my biggest lesson learned. I mean, working in the industry in different locations with different people. 
the biggest learning in my life is that human capability is unlimited. I strongly believe that nothing is impossible. It might be a little bit, you know, strong, but I really believe in it. It's just a matter of how passionate we are about our dreams and how much effort we put to to make them happen. Yeah. And I guess it's also, you know, where do you get the motivation for that? Through your passion, right? Through your passion. Yeah. I think motivation is internal. It comes from your heart, right? It's where passion comes from, right? And I think I mentioned before that the first factor for success is passionate and then hardworking. So passionate creates the motivation to work hard. So why do you think your role now is important to the future of the oil and gas industry? You know, securing clean energy for us and future generations is something that I care about. And I really desire to be part of this effort and play a role, right? This is my motivation. This is my goal. So then I'm very serious about this mission and have dedicated my time to achieve as much as I can alongside my team at Tebera. I think it makes me important for the future of the industry because industry needs serious people, people who really care about future, about their missions and goals. And there are many of them out there, right? I'm one of the smallest one, but I think I'm as important as what we are doing <laughs> at well, Better so that you run the place, huh? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on telling someone about this industry that doesn't understand the industry because that education is so important? Yeah, I think we had a little bit of uh, discussion at the beginning about this. I really wish that every human be educated enough about the energy industry to be able to understand realities without getting biased from political and business-oriented you know, promotions. Energy is essential for human being, and the future of energy is a mix of oil and gas and renewable energy sources. The fact is that none of the energy sources, as I mentioned, is 100% clean, and all have some sort of negative impact. However, while we are trying to go as green as possible, eliminating any of these resources will jeopardize energy sustainability. So we have to move smart. You know, one of the challenges, Paige, I see these days is that a lot of companies or Larger, small, doesn't matter. They just try to move quickly, not to be behind others. They want to be pioneer, right? And this going fast <laughs> increase the risk of making mistakes, right? Increase the risk of missing opportunities. There are several major decisions made by some big companies which were not right. They just wanted to show their commitment to this energy transition. I think we can move slower but smarter, and then make sure that every step that we take is a positive you know, a step toward reaching the goal, which is, you know, again, clean energy future, low carbon future. And this is what all of us are looking for. Yeah, yeah. And I like to say this pretty often, but you can't have the transition without oil and gas because all these things are made of hydrocarbons. That's true. That's true. I have actually a picture, a cartoon that I typically show on my presentation is a person standing with lots of things around him and projecting oil and gas. And then if you remove all the items which is made by oil and gas, you will see that person is standing naked. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> and this is true. You know, this is something that I think community should understand. Oil and gas is not what we put in our car tanks, right? That's just a byproduct. Exactly. I mean, look at the COVID time, right? All the products that basically protected us, like, you know, 
masks, sanitizers that are coming from oil and gas. Oh, if you go to hospitals, you will see most of the products around the hospitals are made by oil and gas. So how can we ignore it, right? How can we ignore the value that oil and gas brought to our lives in the last century? How many people were lifted up from poverty because of oil and gas, right? Exactly. Exactly. All right. Do you have a favorite podcast? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> is it this one? <laughs> yeah, yours is one of my favorite ones. Like OG and, and I typically follow yours, Joe Batiers, and the one that Elena Melcher is. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's running. amazing. They're both so, amazing. Yeah, I try to listen to your podcast as much as I get time. And I find some of them really, really helpful and, you know, valuable information. All right. Well, thank you again for joining me, Ahmed. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Severa, how might they go about doing so? Of course, they can directly contact me at hamed.sarush at tevera.com or info at tevera.com easier. I'm very active on LinkedIn. They can follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn. And I try to be very responsive when I get receive a question or request. Again, as much as you know, uh, time allows. Yeah, for sure. But thank you very much for this opportunity. It was a pleasure, Paige, talking to Thanks you. Thanks for coming on and sharing your journey with us. It's greatly appreciated. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Awesome. All right. Well, that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.